Well, hello, my name is John Moss. I'm director of the British Society of Diocese. And as I speak to you now, we are waiting for the conference exhibition to be uh, put together and built ready for all our members coming tomorrow. So it's a very exciting moment. The result of months of planning almost coming to reality. So we just hope the sun shines and it's going to be a great weekend. And you're listening at the moment to another Adventures in Dowsing from the British Society of Dowsers, all of which have been put together by our president, Graham Gardner, over the last few years. It's a fantastic series of podcasts, um, which are really useful, depending on what, you, what your interest is. There's a great variety of things. So thank you to Graham for doing all that hard work. And it's a terrific resource for everybody all over the world to listen to. And we know that we do have a very wide range of listeners from many, many countries, which I think is terrific. Hi there, this is Adventures in Dowsing, episode number 30 from the BSD, with me, Graham Gardner. Now, here in the UK, it's uh, November, and winter is fast approaching, but the days are still quite sunny. But it's been almost two months since our annual conference back in September, and I really had hoped to have a podcast episode up uh, about that. Uh, But it has taken a little while to get things together, partly through pressure of work, as usual, and also because I've been busy updating my computer uh, to a new, flashier Windows 7 model. But uh, anyway, that's all up and running now. All the traumas have been ironed out, and everything seems to be functioning uh, perfectly well. So here is our first podcast featuring a report from our annual conference. And in this one, I'm going to bring you an update on two of the water charities that the BSD supports. And that's Village Water, who operate in western Zambia, and Water for Life, who operate in the remoter southern parts of India. Uh, Village Water you'll be familiar with because we featured their work back in episode 5 of the podcast. And if you haven't heard that, you might want to go back and check the archives at britishdowsers.org slash podcast and have a little listen to that episode so that you have a comparison to see where they've got to nowadays. Uh, Water for Life is the charitable arm of Reaching the Unreached, which is a, a Christian charity that's been operating in southern India for some 40 years now, and uh, the BSD have been long-term supporters of it. So they're both wealthy charities, uh, well worth supporting, and you can find details of that on the main podcast page where I will put up web links to both their websites. So first of all, we are going to hear about Village Water, and this report is by Guy Hudson, who you may remember from the original podcast. Guy has uh, served for a time as director of Village Water, and he's now one of their trustees. Well, good afternoon. Um, Welcome. Um, I'm here to to talk for 15 minutes on Village Water. Now, could I have a show of hands for um, people who know about Village Water and have Okay, so there's still a few who don't. I'll give a quick introduction to Village Water. Village Water was started by three dowsers uh, in 2004. And we went out uh, to Zambia and um, discovered that there was... We were invited by another charity who were doing harvest work. And um, because of sick children and because of women spending all their time collecting water the harvest, the, the, the agricultural work was not being done. So we were introduced to some people who were volu- doing volunteering, very well-trained people who were doing volunteering but didn't have any infrastructure, didn't have any vehicles or diesel or any organisation behind them. So we set up that organisation and 
um, to deliver clean water, hygiene and sanitation to villages out in western Zambia. Now, um, the transformation of... I've been back a year later to villages... Um, and we, you know, you get in there, you bump around the Land Rover for a couple of hours, and you drive to an area that you recognise and know. Um, but you come up to the villages, and you think, "Hang on a sec, I don't recognise this village." I mean, everybody is squeaky clean and dancing and smiling. And um, and what we've done, we've doused that the well in this particular instance was slightly out of the village. Well, when you've got when you've got straw huts, um, they're very easy to move. So what had happened? was all of the village had moved to be right round the well so they didn't have to ferry the water so far. But that sort of illustrates just how much the influence of water is. When, when I go dowsing, you always find that the, the old well from a farmhouse is right by the back door, or in some cases even in the scullery, and they've built a sort of extension to the kitchen around the old well because there was so much... The physical work, when you haven't got a tap and water flowing through a pipe, the physical work of carrying water is enormous. So having local water is a, is a great boon. But from the health point of view... There's no point. You don't save lives by just providing clean water. You save lives by doing hygiene and sanitation training as well. So everybody digs their latrine. Everybody washes their hands. Um, there's a bath shelters. There's, there's a whole regime of, 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 of hygiene. And if you combine that, pound for pound, it's the best money you can spend in development. And everything, whole, the whole community comes on. So here is a typical um, installation. And in there is what's called an India Mark II. It's a, it's a 1940s design, UNICEF design. Very basic uh, hand pump. Um, well, uh, probably they use them in India as well. We may see some more pictures of them in a minute. Um, but very, very robust. A little bit difficult to maintain compared to more modern pumps, but um, nevertheless, uh, it, it's, it's very robust. Um, and that is surrounded with a, with a house so that uh, dogs, um, you know, children can't get in there when they shouldn't do. Um, and and uh, that's it. This is what the alternative is, the old, old scoop holes. Um, on the edge of what's called the dambos, where, where, where the, the dampness is. And you can see um, the water can be quite clean, but w the problem is, is this area around here. Because um, dogs, um, babies without nappies, all that kind of stuff, make sure there's plenty of bacteria around there. And this little bowl here gets put down there in between scoops. And that means it's got bacteria on the bottom of it. And um, it gets poured into... It, 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 that then gets dipped into the water, and it means that that fecal bacteria is in the water that's being scooped. And that means everybody gets diarrhoea, and an awful lot of children die. So that, in rural areas, 182 in every 1,000 children die before their fifth birthday in Zambia. And, um, and there's worms. And funnily enough... If you sort out the hygiene problems, people don't die of malaria anymore because they're that much stronger. They're able to, to, to be strong enough to withstand it. Um, so this is Zambia, and, this, and middle of Africa, so you've got Congo up there, and so the central province where, with Lusaka, the Lusaka, so we fly there, 
And there's this Chinese road, 500 kilometers uh, west in, into the sunset. And our two offices are in Coma and in and, uh, Mongu. But we've also done work in Lakulu and in Sananga. But what's interesting, we are, we are confident enough next year to actually move across the Zambezi. Across the Zambezi, they've got the lowest... Um, sanitation rates in the world. There's only 2% of people there have got access to, to sanitation. It's very difficult to get to. It means, you know, getting boats and, and, and all of that kind of thing. There's talk about a Chinese bridge, but we'll believe it when we see it. They're prospecting for it. But anyway, the problem there is that um, in, in a lot of this area, you've got what's called flood recession agriculture. So that in the rainy season, the Zambezi floods um, enriches the soil and then in the dry season it goes back down again just like on the Nile very very rich soil and there's a whole culture of the Lozi people there um, with their own king and, and their own customs and there's a big ceremony when, when the king comes off his village on the middle of the land in the middle of the Zambezi plain um, back up onto the hill um, for the rainy season this is a typical meeting where, where we where, where we change the way villages work so that women are fully involved, so that the, we meet the whole community and we brief them, um, and we insist that, that all the women are involved in the decision-making as well. Um, and they set up a, com- a committee, and we train two women and we train two men um, in pump mending, because they're, they're not that easy to mend. But we insist on a pump and not an old Jack and Jill, Jill well, because it, it, seals, it seals the well. So nothing can be dropped in and contaminate it. Um, and also it avoids the danger of anybody falling down, and people do. The, the, the humour and the dance that you see that um, our educators do is hysterical. They are just so funny, um, and they get, they get everybody, everybody going. Here's an example of a typical latrine with, with, with hand washing. Another one there. There's a plate rack where all of the dishes are washed and then they're in the sun so that the ultraviolet uh, sterilizes. Um, Another pump. There's a pump half installed while they're putting the pipes down to the cylinder. And this um, windless contraption is because there's a well digger down there digging like mad with a pickaxe. Quite dangerous work, very skillful. Fantastically athletic. They're like Olympic athletes, the, the well diggers. Um, and there's us casting the, the concrete rings. Um, bath shelter, bathing. And we, we had a volunteer go, go out for us to, to look at um, what happens. And so a typical village statistics, there were 40 people with skin disease, diarrhea, eye disease, 26, even 20 with malaria, 30 with worm infection. And um, last year, when we were gathering statistics, it almost dropped to nothing. And what we're actually doing is now is we're working on... Um, we get, we've got a lot of recognition. Last year, um, we got a, a Pan-African prize um, so that um, United Nations, Water Aid, all the 50 governments in, in the African countries got together and, and, and have made this, this um, institution, which once a year has a conference and this then it was in Addis Ababa and um, we were got runner up for the whole of Africa and what that's done is um, it's allowed us to it's allowed us to have recognition so that the likes of UNICEF and Oxfam now are approaching us to do work so 
Next year, we've, we've been asked to, put, to start putting in toilet blocks for 200 schools in northern province, um, and also it allows us to get the extra funding that we need to go across the Zambezi to where nobody else has been able to get to so far, and hopefully we've, we've got the ability to do that. Lots of other economic activities happen, things like mills and all that kind of stuff. So it's just like out there, it's, you know, like a, a, a mill is an important thing, and people will walk miles to, to, to get their stuff milled. I would just like to particularly thank um, um, all of the, the, the BSD for the help we had because when we started up, um, we, um, we had all the administrative help from the office and uh, we, we could not have started up with, without the BSD's help and also from all of the donations from, from the members um, over the years have been an enormously helpful. And even now there are two kinds of donations – there, there is unrestricted and restricted under British charity law. And when you restrict it, you say, I want you to spend it on a certain thing, like you know, putting in wells or whatever. But unrestricted is the really important stuff to us. If it, it gives us financial security so that whatever happens, if we overrun on a project or something goes wrong, we have a big vehicle breakdown or something, then um, we've got money to spend as, as, as we need um, to, get, to get the job done. Yeah, so um, just before I finish, any, any questions? What's the deepest you go before you have to use electric? Like 30, if you go over 30 feet, you have pumping difficulty, I imagine. Well, I think this is where dowsing comes in. Um, there is no other charity that anybody knows. We're, we're called by the locals. We're, we're, we're called the, uh, the little giant because we do far much more work than, than all, all the other charities put together in that region. And we're incredibly efficient about what we do. And one of the reasons is because we douse. We've, we've, we've done more than 300 villages now. And yes, we've had well failures, but sometimes they collapse with, with, with quicksand or sometimes the water will have iron in it or something. But basically, we've, we've not, there's not one village where we've not provided water to. Um, and we are able to douse for narrow, for narrow streams the minor aquifers rather than the deep big aquifers which hydrogeologists say that you have to go down to and that's where dowsing comes in so re really we don't have to go that deep we we do dig in the coma region where it's more rocky so that the the sides of the wells are more stable we can go down deeper and we've we've gone down to about 17 meters is the maximum we've ever gone down to and did you need electric pumps uh, uh, centrifugal pumps uh, i mean it's physically impossible to I don't want to get too involved in this. It's, it's not possible to pump over 30 feet by hand. Um, with a pull pump, yeah. but um, with the, the, the way these pumps are designed, um, you can use them either as a pull pump or a push pump. So you can have the cylinder up in the body of the pump, you know, because the, uh, above ground, the, well, the, the pump head is, is a large diameter to, to put the cylinder in, or you can put it down the bottom. And if you put it down the bottom, it's pushing up. Otherwise, there's a practical limit of seven, seven odd meters because of atmospheric pressure, isn't it? Yeah. Can we introduce these, these life-saving projects and, uh, and uh, reduce the child mortality <coughs> and increase the life expectancy? Are you then going to have to introduce better birth control before you're faced with the next problem of famine? Um, we've not seen that. Um, here is um, a, a vastly underutilized area, a massive amount of lack of development. 
over a beer I can talk about all the social and political um, problems that have generated that but basically there's a huge untapped resource. there's lots and lots of spare agricultural land there and also the statistics we, we, we've done more than we've provided counted you know head count we've provided water hygiene and sanitation to is over 70,000 people now um, but that is the initial population of the village before we've done anything what tends to happen is once the village has been con- has had its program uncles and aunts and cousins and anybody else so we've seen populations treble in a year and schools built and health centres built and the government providing a teacher and all that kind of stuff so the whole the whole thing takes off there was a question here I noticed in the last leaflet you said you did have somebody a local person learning to dance how keen are the local people to learn to dance there is no cultural resistance at all to dowsing. It's like there's just nothing. It's just in, 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 in the African context it's, it's not seen as magic or anything. It's just, oh, uh, we do that. And in fact um, one well digger that, who has already started digging a well that I trained to dows had already sighted the well on a narrow vein. So I suspect he was already dowsing but he didn't know he was. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's very much um, it's very easily done. Everybody does it. And we've actually been driving along and we've, we've seen well, dig- well diggers independently of us uh, dowsing for the next well. So it, it's not... Um, we, we've, we've trained them up. We've got all the local well diggers dowsing now. And so it's stuck. It's stuck. And it's, it, it, it's part of what they do now. Okay, well, I think I'm, my time is up. So over to John. You can continue to answer questions while I load up the next thing, actually, oh, okay. if you want right. to. Right, yes. <laughs> It'll Another take minute. the pressure off me a bit, pressing the right buttons. Okay. The native tradition of, of dowsing, uh, what, what, do they use any specific technical tools? No. No, there's no, there's no thing there. First of all, there's a bit, oh, what's that then? Okay, well, you do it like that. Oh, yes, okay. You know, it's just very, very quickly taken on board. Traditionally, would they just do it intuitively? <laughs> You know, go stand on the spot where they sense that that is the correct place to do. I actually, I don't know. I mean, I, I got to the stage where um, when we were initially doing it, we were doing the dowsing, and um, we would have to do five villages in a day, and it meant calling all the people together, sitting all in a circle, chatting about what we could do, even though it was pre-prepared. So they were pre-warned that, and we'd pre-selected the villages for the locals, because. You know the census figures are very poor, and there are no signposts or anything. So you have to. You know, sometimes there's not even a, even a track. Um, it's just a single file thing, and you know your four by four is pushing down the elephant grass to get to the village. It's that remote, and um, uh, yeah. So um, we 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 ended up sort of splitting our tasks. So one of us would go and talk to the thing. One would go and do different things. But anyway, two of us then would whiz off and do dowsing. And it got to the stage where I could see, I could see ahead of me where to go down because you've got such limited time. So well, it's not difficult to douse there. It's fairly easy dowsing. Ah, oh, collections. If you would like to donate to Village Water, <laughs> we've got a stand in the in the hall um, where the bookshop is, um, and um, the the bookshop people will will take our our donations. Thank you. 
Guy Hudson there telling us about village water in Africa. Now, our next speaker is uh, Kate Fortledge. Uh, Kate is a long-term member of the BSD, and she's been a tireless and stalwart supporter of Water for Life for many years now. Uh, she always has a stand at conference and is, uh, has some means of fundraising, either by selling some dowsing tools or raffling some goods to try and raise money for them. So here's Kate to tell us about Water for Life. Right, I think it's not good afternoon, it's good evening by now. Um, I'll be as quick as I can because I believe the bar's open, or about to open, and it would be disastrous to run late on that. Uh, when you think of drought, obviously you think of Africa. You're hearing about the uh, corn of Africa, you've heard all the awful places that um, guys described, you think about Ethiopia, but there are other places in the world which have a lot more problems, just as bad, just as serious, but you never hear about them. So I'm going to take you a thousand miles to the east, to India, and to a place called the Tamil Nadu, which is the little yellow bit right at the bottom. It's a little pointed bit, it's very hot, it's very dry, and it suffers from drought. It's got an incredibly poor population. They live on subsistence farming mainly, a bit of coconut growing, a bit of rice, a bit of banana, but they are about as poor as you can get. This is what happens when there's a drought. All the bits which are brown should have been dark green for jungle. All the bits which are sort of yellowish color should have been a beautiful green for coconut. And all the bits were sort of yellowish should have been bright green for rice. And that's what happens to those people every few years when they get a really bad drought. There is nothing growing there at all. Even the coconuts have died. Um, So they really are pretty desperate. And it isn't only when um, it's a drought. It's bad all the time. And you can see the sort of country where you want to try and help. Jungle, mountain, rock. Um, To try and get through that countryside to help people is quite a problem. It's not a matter of driving along roads. It's a matter of scrambling through that lot. Water, well, it's very like it is in Africa. That's the water supply. Fine, there's enough to drink. You can't wash your face. You can't wash your hair. You can't wash your clothes. You can't wash your baby. You can't wash your cooking pots. You know, how would you fancy being like that? A bit grim. I had a bath this morning. No, she hasn't had a bath. Well, ever, I shouldn't think. And it's not just the water supply. This is an open sewer. You get those in Africa as well, but this is a typical open sewer. And probably a bit further down, that will be used for drinking. But it'll be all the water there is. And that is the sort of housing you get with that sort of situation. Just rags bits of leaves, bits of plastic, everything. They've got no money to build anything. They haven't got the energy because they're not fit enough. So they live in these shanties until somebody comes and helps them. Now, the one who's helping them is Brother Kempton. He's a member of a Catholic order. He's lived there all his life. And he is a master dowser. His success rate is between 92% and mostly it's 98%. And that is pretty good for any water diviner. When you think that he's got to go to these extraordinary places where he knows nothing about the hydrology, nothing about the geology, it's just pure intuitive dowsing. And he is absolutely brilliant. But he's well into his 80s now, so um, any of you who feel like being a successor, there's an opportunity. If you don't mind going around barefoot and living in a poor village. But that's him working in a small village to see what he can find walking past the open, that's their water supply. 
and he's finding them a better one. It seems to be underneath the existing water supply, but then that's perfectly possible, deep water. And when he's found it, there comes the drill. They've just got this little truck-mounted drill. You can get pretty well anywhere. And mind you, some of these villages are not a day's walk from a road. They're a day's walk from a cart track. But mostly, these big uh, lorries can get there with the pumps. And you can see the villagers are very thrilled about it. And you can see the water beginning to come through and the usual um, little plastic doties to carry them in. But that is really great. It's just not a big thing, you see. It wouldn't be any good having one of these gigantic drill rigs. We couldn't get there. But this little lorry can get to most places. And once it's been drilled, we install the pump. Simple hand pump. Can be used by the kids, the old people. Anybody can use it. And once it's in, it's there for good. Because it's a very simple, very low-maintenance pump. And part of the operation is training the local villagers to maintain it so that even if it breaks down, there's always some guy in the village who's got the technical know-how to repair it. It's about as simple as you can get. And as you can see, it's steel, galvanized, heavy-duty stuff. And really, it's just about as foolproof as you can get. I mean, these are the ones you have, Guy, aren't they? They are. Um, Very similar. Yes, the funny thing is in Africa, they install the spout the other way around. But apart from that, it's identical. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's the same principle. It's, it's identical design. Yeah, yes. the same sort of thing. Yeah. There are kids working it. Um, whether it really needs two kids and a woman to operate it, I don't know, but I think it's part of the fun. And as Guy's already told you, the water's there. You haven't got to walk for two miles and miss your clinic and miss your school and everything else to get it. It's just right there. And it's fun getting the water. It's a social business. Instead of being an exhausting slog, it's just a bit of entertainment. Whether they stouse each other with it, I wouldn't know, but um, obviously they enjoy it very much. Now, you've got the water. What are you going to do? You're going to build houses. You saw the sort of things they were living in. And a lot of the houses they build are made from these concrete bricks, which are made by the villagers themselves. And they do the building themselves as far as possible. And without water, you just couldn't do this at all. No costs about £750 to build, which is a bit less than it costs in this country. And that will last for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And it's easy to clean, good shelter. It looks simple to us, but you compare it with those shacks and you can see how absolutely thrilled they are to get it. Again, once you've got water, you can have a school, you can have a clinic, you can have any kind of educational facility that you want. These are the kids just enjoying their preschool. Instead of being trailing after mum to get the water from the river, they're sitting there enjoying themselves. And the other thing, which is very important, is that it gives them an opportunity for independence. This woman's <coughs> relieved from the pressure of collecting water, looking after her husband, who's run off and left her, I may say, typically. <laughs> and she's got a small loan from the organisation with that, she's bought a cow. She's now selling the milk from the cow, making a modest living. Well, I mean, it's, it wouldn't seem much to us, but she's actually independent. She doesn't owe anybody any money. She hasn't dependent on anybody for a job. She's actually an entrepreneur. Well, it sounds a bit grand, but you know what I mean. She's actually doing it all herself with the help of the organization. And she's got clean water to wash the cow with, clean water to wash the utensils with. So 
you know, back to the water again, which is doing very well. This is a new family in front of their new house, looking very smart in their Sunday best, and they've done a typical sort of religious sand pattern in front of it to, um, well, I suppose to christen the new house or to uh, welcome to it. I mean, we might draw a labyrinth, but this is their form of putting a prayer in front of the house to say, you know, how wonderful we're going to live here. Again, water. Now, the people who do this are an organization called Reaching the Unreached of Village India. Fortunately, it's known as the RTU for short, just as well when you're writing checks, which I hope you'll all be doing. It's the water program part of the RTU that the BSD knows as Water for Life. And I told you the houses are about 750. To dig a well, or rather to drill it, because they don't dig them, it's granite there. 150 feet of it before you get to the water. That means drilling. And that costs about 550 pounds. I usually manage to make enough filling dowsing tools to do that once a year. So I get my annual well. And I hope, um, you know, we'll be able to do the same. ETU, RTU, it's very, very small. It only gets £750,000 a year. That's their total income. You can see how small it is. And you might like to compare that to the big water aid in Africa, who spend £11 million a year on advertising. They call it fundraising. But they spend £11 million just on putting their name forward and sending out leaflets and things like that, whereas these people do everything on 750,000, and not a penny of that goes on advertising. Apart from the little leaflets which you'll see in the um, hall, they just don't do any advertising. Partly because an Indian government doesn't really welcome red noses. If you marched in there with a big sort of, we're going to rescue, you get slung out fast, because the Indian government doesn't really want you to know that they've got a lot of poor people in there. Eighty percent of the Indians live in these sort of villages, and it's not something that India's proud of, so we couldn't mount a big operation. It has to be done quietly, bit by bit, bit by bit. But um, it's coming on, you know, with Brother Kempton working, his team working, and the support from the BSD, it gradually ticks over. BSD has already given 220,000 over the years, which I think is very admirable, and hopefully we'll give a lot more. This conference is called Well, Well, Well. Well, that's a bit ambitious, but, you know, perhaps we could collect enough amongst us just to do one well. Oh, unless you feel like volunteering, they'd love volunteers out there. It would be an opportunity to watch a brilliant master dowser at work. You just might find yourself digging drains or shoveling concrete. That's the only snack. Thank you. Kate Fortledge there, and my thanks to both Kate and Guy for those presentations. That's it for this episode of Adventures in Dowsing. Uh, don't forget, you can contact the show by emailing podcast at britishdowsers.org. You can interact with us on our Facebook page, at facebook.com slash britishdowsers. And you can also check our forum at britishdowsers.org slash forum. 
I'll put links to both those charities on the main show notes page at britishdowsers.org slash podcast so you can go to their websites and uh, check out more details and find out how you can donate money to them. Adventures in Dowsing comes from the British Society of Dowsers in Hanley Swan, England. For more details about the society, uh, to find out how we can help you get the most out of your dowsing, see our main webpage at britishdowsers.org. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll be back very soon with more Adventures in Dowsing. See you then. <laughs>